sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee. Welcome to this week's edition of Tales of Tennessee podcast. My guest on the show today is a music executive rising star and has a passion and knowledge for the genre, which has led him to merge the talents of Nashville and London with a hugely successful festival in London and an associated week of live music and entertainment. It is, of course, Matt Watkins. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Hello. Hello. So your official title, is it President of Marketing and International at Aristo Media Group? Is that right? Correct. Okay. What does that mean? Can you give us a little brief synopsis of, of what you do? Sure. So I oversee the marketing efforts and initiative for the Aristo Media Group, um, both here domestically in the United States, as well as international territory. So I oversee initiatives in the UK, Australia, in Canada, as well as kind of domestic, not only for some of the artists we represent, but kind of for the company, the company as a whole. Um, so I'm, uh, you know, I, I wake up and I'm usually talking to a series of executives from the UK, and then you know throughout the day it's kind of Canada, and you know in the evening it's pretty much Australia. Uh, you know sometimes it's just connecting people, sometimes it's actively working in those marketplaces on either product releases or campaigns. Okay, and so that is sort of directly for the artists, artists, and for some entertainment brands as well as kind of okay. label initiatives we're undertaking. Yes. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about Aristo um, itself, sort of as a group? How long has it been going? What what does it do? Is it just the marketing PR side, or does it have other other facets as well? Sure. So we were started in 1980, and so we are 41 years old as yep. of next week or in a couple of weeks. Um, we were founded by an Australian, Jeff Walker. Uh, he came over here. His dad was playing with um, Johnny Cash and a series of other. Um, you know, major celebrities back in uh, the 70s and 80s. And um, we started off as a PR entity um, for actually, I take that back, we were a label. And then we folded into a, a PR agency and then uh, quickly saw the rise of video. And so we uh, developed a radio division or I'm sorry, a video division. Um, and then slowly kind of just kept um, adding services um, where we kind of saw a need in the industry. So we are kind of the first label services company without knowing what that definition was. And so we've serviced um, just many, many, many labels. I think when we started working, we were working with about 60 to 80 different labels at the time. And then kind of, you know, through conglomeration of everything else over the past decades, um, you know, we have continued to work on those label fronts. But I mean, we helped usher in, you know, Florida Georgia Line, as well as you know, Taylor Swift. Um, as well as you know, Gretchen Wilson and Big and Rich. And so kind of a series of different artists over the decade. And, you know, so we do anything from radio promotion to video promotion, to digital marketing, um, video marketing, international initiatives, live events, branding. I do some sync out in uh, LA and in um, New York. And so we I mean, pretty much do most of the functions of uh, the industry, entertainment industry besides um, booking. Uh, actual booking kind of into venues is about the only thing we don't do. Okay, so you mentioned you do sync. What what is sync to the layperson like me or or our listeners um, who don't necessarily know? What does that mean? So I help um, uh, one of our publishing clients uh, get his uh, songs and films and TV shows and commercials. Like right now, 
We have one in a Toyota commercial across most of Western Europe. We're in a Western Union commercial in Russia and Ukraine and several other kind of countries. We've had um, cuts in uh, a ton of Netflix series, Hulu um, series. And so, you know, we're kind of, you know, placing music uh, in those movies, films, wherever, where there's a screen. Amazing. So actually I had um, Megan O'Neill on the podcast last week and she was saying, obviously she's, she's an independent artist and she has to do all of this herself. And she's recently had some success. Um, She had a, um, a song from her new album on a Netflix series called Firefly Lane. And she obviously, she had a song in Nashville TV series back in the day. Um, Sure. And she was explaining how difficult it is as an artist to do all of these things, you know, to do her marketing, to do her social media, to do her, um, her publishing and literally all she, she has to be all of these different people and the artists as well. So um, it sounds like there's a real, like you say, niche for artist services, um, you know, to kind of take Absolutely. it off their, their hands. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's generally where we kind of come into hand when an artist is doing it all and they just physically can't. Mm. Or they're like, I need help, you know, and, and again, we're set up in, in, in a very you know, unique way that we can offer a multitude of different kind of marketing services as needed. Um, if it's just sync, we can work on just sync. If it's just PR or digital, we're able to kind of really focus in on those areas, um, you know, and, and, and really kind of help create impact uh, with what we're able to do. Or again, sometimes just make connections with everything that we're doing kind of around the world, we're able to get to that goal much faster for that artist or really open up those doors and do you get ever get involved in the sort of management side of the artist as well you know if if there's a new artist they're just breaking into the industry they're not necessarily business people you know they're they're singers they're performers they don't necessarily have a business head is that something you guys look after as well or would you sort of are you one one point removed from that I would say it we're not in an official management capacity, but just knowing just have being in the business and having so many different divisions and just our general staff that we do approach things almost from that management type of point of view, where we know what's happening, we know what's kind of in that best um, interest of the artists themselves. And so we're able to to really kind of leverage just some of those past relationships to kind of make it more um, in that kind of uh, capacity, but not in any kind of official capacity. We work, we work great with managers, um, but generally it's, we know what they're going to want to see as well. So we're able to kind of put on that hat. So we're again, kind of delivering the results that they want or packaging certain things so that when they pass on to different agents or, or, you know, whatever our kind of goal is, whether it be a release that it's kind of packaged for them. Yeah. Okay. And how did you get into this, into the music industry yourself? Have you, were your family musical orientated or was it by accident? Uh, complete accident. Um, like every country, every country song, I literally fell in love with a girl. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't know um, anybody of anybody. I didn't know who Faith Hill was. I didn't know who Tim McGraw was. Had no clue. And um, we met in high school and it was before college and I needed a job. It, there was one open of just literally doing odd jobs around the office. So I literally started in the basement cleaning out old boxes and, you know, started the transition into painting, which was not my strong suit, but painted many of the offices here at Aristo. 
And then um, I took over a publishing catalog and that was kind of the first musical um, piece of the company that I actually was able to touch. Mm. And it was in, you know, semi disarray. So I was able to completely reorganize that. And, uh, and, you know, once that path was completed, I helped um, do kind of some initial research of launching some different companies um, or, or departments here uh, at Aristo. And then it just happened that when I was going to, to graduate and figure out what I was going to do with my life, there was a position that opened up and that was an assistant position, but um, that position also booked all the daytime uh, CMA Music Fest stages. So I think I booked that for, I think it was two or three years. Um, it was 236 acts um, and hosts. And we had to write intros and we were kind of on-site production. So I was kind of the executive producer assistant um, on the daytime stages. And that was kind of where I first got a little bit of that talent buying in theory, yeah. um, or just kind of a lot of industry experience, which was, you know, forever amazing. Uh, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. What, and then just what never really do, stopped. What do you think you would have done had you not landed at Aristo? Um, my intentions um, were to become in law enforcement. I wanted to be an FBI agent since I was a little oh, kid. Wow. Um, yeah, but uh, going back to before uh, university, um, I looked at where there's FBI uh, offices. There was one in Knoxville and there was one in Memphis. There was not one in Nashville at the time. Mm. And I determined, you know what? I think I got something going um, with this girl. So I continued on and now we're married and you know we have a, a nine-year-old and we have been together for 22 years from um, high school until continuing on. That's amazing and it isn't I, I just wanted to point out here that this isn't this has not all been fluke there's obviously a lot of skill there and you're obviously very very good at, at what you do and you were in fact named by Music Row magazine um, as one of the rising leaders in the MBT industry directory um, so that came out in or it was announced in December. So this sure. has obviously turned into a real passion for you. Do you, do you have the passion yeah. for the for the country music now? I know obviously previously Absolutely. you didn't know anything about it. Absolutely. Um, I love the marketing behind it. Mm. Um, just, to, just in general of helping artists achieve their goals is, is really what I like doing. And that was kind of the entire ethos. Of, of really bridging that gap. And it really started in Canada and Australia kind of before the UK. That was kind of probably that last bit that, we, that was the newest venture of just really connecting the dots. Um, you know, like Morgan Evans, for instance, I've known him, I think it's now for like 16, 17 years. We saw Morgan when he had super shaggy hair and was kind of in a rock band in Australia. And, you know, just seeing that transformation of, hey, we can help you out here. We can kind of pivot and, and really kind of change the overall course of, of his brand, um, you know, in, in any capacity or kind of just continue on to, to help those young emerging artists achieve those goals. Um, you know, again, you know, comes to being 40 years old, like we've, we've, we've worked with a lot of different artists throughout, um, you know, their careers. And it's always exciting to, to work with superstars as well as kind of those emerging artists to get them to certain levels to where they need. If they just, if they need a booking agent, we can, we can, you know, when we're able to get those show dates or when they have a major release to kind of be a part of those. So it's a lot of, you know, helping others is, is really where that kind of passion lies. And, you know, I think the industry is, is a great way to kind of help those people achieve their dreams. Um, is really what we like doing here at Aristo. And is it very 
different if you're taking an artist like Morgan Evans for example if you're targeting um, a campaign for him over in Australia or the UK or Europe is it is it very different in each place that you're sort of targeting or do you tend to have essentially a, a kind of template that you work to is it very dependent on the type of artist or the place or how, how does it work you know early on um, you know it was definitely uh, it's, it's a lot of research um, so now we pretty much identify other individuals in those markets that, that really are saturated, that we kind mm-hmm. of work with more, more the so than necessarily doing it ourselves. We always kind of have you know, some joint mentors or partnerships. That's generally, you know, the, the way that we now did it. But, you know, uh, before that, it was pretty much us kind of rolling our sleeves up and figuring out, because it is very different, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, like you guys over in the UK, that you drive on the album side of the road. So if we're working on a marketing campaign and there was a music video involved, we have to make sure that it's shot in a way that looks reminiscent of where we want to place it or vice oh, versa. Yeah. And certain terminology like, um, you know, truck is like a uke in Australia. Like we have to make sure that that terminology makes sense. Um, you know, or like the peace sign over here, we can use it both ways over in the UK, probably not. And we're always kind of just making sure that some of those um, nuances are really kind of ironed out. So it mm-hmm. can kind of be a semi-global launch or what does that look like yeah that's fascinating to be honest I'd never that had never really occurred to me you know that you would go into that level of detail dependent on kind of where you're targeting targeting it to yeah I mean I think it was even National Meets London one um we had there was only like you know one issue and it was about rooms it was the double or the single and I literally can still not tell you the difference um but we had booked 40 odd hotel rooms incorrectly um because of just the terminology and it's like oh no 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 no! this is what we needed and i mean luckily we had about the same amount that we needed to do but it's just you know that level of of, of nuance of just making sure that mm. everything um is done and and branded or said in a certain way you know and especially now it it's easier and it's harder i mean social media has opened up a different target mm. but every but what we'll say warner australia is pushing my for we'll, we'll use Morgan as an example. Uh, we don't work with him on necessarily his campaigns, but what Warner Australia is pushing might not be the same single that Warner Nashville is pushing. Mm. And so it's making sure that everything is kind of lining up so that you know the end user, whether they're a fan in Australia or in or in the United States, that those marketing campaigns are working together instead of against one another. Um, you know, and I think again, it's gotten a lot better, um, but really early on. People in Australia, it, it, it was either geo-blocked or they didn't know about it. Um, and, and, or, or if you were an Australian fan, you didn't know what single we were working here in the United States. I remember we were working with Gretchen Wolf at the time, and Redneck Woman had just become beyond overnight sensation here in the United States. Haphazardly, we were in Australia where she was doing a show and went and she played a Redneck Woman. I think it was for the first time down there, and they had no clue who this person was or what the song was about and it had gone you know, like wow. nine weeks number one or something insane and and so you know you kind of figure out um ways to communicate with mm. those individuals who again might use a different terminology or again kind of in the overall campaign yeah and how has it changed over the last 12 months when obviously you you know you haven't been able to have the live shows or anything like that to to back it up has has that proved a real challenge for you or had you already 
crossed over so much to the digital side that it hadn't hadn't made such a such a bump you know i mean we are lucky because we do we always had that digital capacity um and we are kind of well diversified um you know we are kind of well diversified in terms of what we're able to do um so our pivot wasn't that hard um just because we had already been operating in that space mm. um there was at least initially a lot of that opportunity when it was that initial kind of content grab where nobody knew what was going on and, and i mean some of those marketing efforts were a little bit easier in the beginning um, you know, but as things transitioned, what if people certain people were furloughed, not furloughed, or totally let go, or cutting back in staff, that those became just a little bit more challenging. But mm. you know, as this year's kind of kicked off, it's kind of back to I don't want to call it normal, but it, everybody's kind of adapted um, the same way now. So everybody kind of knows operationally what that looks. Yeah. Um, but you know, dealing with you know the UK when we were doing the Royal Albert Hall show it was you know certain people were furloughed on certain days so if we needed a response we were going to get it in about 12 hours or two days or monday or tuesday um so you know that was a bit challenging but you know the pivot to online wasn't um entirely uh, unbeknownst to us it wasn't that much of an undertaking Mm. it was it was we were pretty set up to do that and how have you found i mean have you had to market lots of lots of live streams I know we will come on to the National Meets London live streams later on but the the digital concerts and live stream gigs from artists in Nashville how have they been going you know has has that been well received I know over here we had kind of an absolute glut of of live streams um to start with every artist was doing a live stream and it has obviously tapered off a little bit but just wondering how the actual official whether they were pre-recorded or live, ticketed streams were received. Sure. Was, was that difficult? It, it has. It, it really depends on the act. Uh, we have had difficulty in, in certain acts, whether, again, you know, I know their dollar value down the street. I know their value mm-hmm. if they go to C2C. I know their do- dollar value. But trying to say, well, okay, well, that, that, that dollar value for an actual ticket um, might be a hundred dollars, but what is that dollar value for online? Because is it ten dollars? Is it more? Is it less? And so it, it, it's kind of trying to find out those pain points and what kind of is our overall goal. I mean, we worked with people um, over the past year that's like, I, I don't want to charge for that. I want to use this as a marketing opportunity so that once I do come back, I'm able to connect with more fans now in a virtual environment to kind of give them the taste of what they will see in the future. Yeah. Okay. So we kind of help curate some of that content, whether it's kind of half live stream, half talk show, half bringing in kind of different guests um, to kind of keep things unique for the most part. Others, again, were kind of straight ticketed events, but I mean, it, it, it has been challenging mm. to sell those ticket events because again, everything or, you know, it's led to believe online is free. So why would I pay 10 pounds or $10 yeah. when, you know, next Tuesday you're going to go, free with this media outlet so it's, yeah it's, it, 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 it was you know it was that massive because there was a massive shift um around this time last year where everybody was going live yeah all hours of the day i mean it was like you just couldn't get away from streams yeah um 
which again, you know, you know, we participated in as well, um, you know, setting up for our artists on the kind of marketing side. And, but it, I mean, it has been, you know, equally challenging or trying to keep the attention span. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you, you would go and watch a gig for two hours, but actually when you're sitting on your sofa watching on the TV, you don't have all that atmosphere going around and, you know, you don't have the buzz. It is, difficult for that artist that you're watching on your tv screen to really grab your attention i think um it's not it, if anything it's absolutely it's 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 that experience is removed mm. it is the artist no longer has the control over the experience from yeah. the moment you walk in a gig you're walking into someone's living room and you know maybe they have children or maybe they have a loud roommate or whatever external mm-hmm. thing are going on and it, it, it's really hard to pay attention and to feel like you're there even though you can hear the music it's it's very different um yeah. because again you can't kind of replicate and i think it's just push people to hopefully want to go to more live shows when possible yeah. to get that experience back yeah Absolutely. So obviously, we've touched on it briefly, but you are, of course, co-founder of Nashville Meets London, um, along with Peter Conway. How did that how did that come about? What what gave you the idea to to start doing that festival? You know, we uh, me and my wife um, have always been, again, international supporters. Um, and after the, the passing away of our founder, the UK was always that not the last market, but it was always that market that we had, we had helped bring people over in the early 2000s. Canada was pretty much well-established. Australia was pretty much well-established as well in terms of that linkage. The UK was that one that it was, it, it was, it was elusive. Um, you know, it's how do we find the fans? They're there, but how do we find them? Um, you know, and, and so, you know, we just got hooked up with Peter and it made a, we started kind of talking in terms of what that looks like and determined that it was something we kind of wanted to continue uh, that discussion. And so we kind of launched it um, and, and, you know, just kind of haphazardly just fumbled our way, um, you know, through it. I mean, our main focus is, um, you know, at that time it was C to C and that was it. And so yeah. it's like you kind of got country once a year and, we found that, you know, disheartening for country fans. Like you need to have more than one or one-off person coming through London or the UK. So let's, let's come in. I think it, the first one, we were six months after, six months before C to C to kind of give it another um, bout with kind of country. And I mean, we've just seen that transition over the past technically five, but, you know, four events of just kind of that continual um, change, even, you know, in, in lifestyle or, or country fans. You know, it's, it's, it's just incredible to see. And what do you think has really kind of sparked that change? Do you think it is because we've been able to access country music more, more regularly, so it isn't just the once a year with, with C2C? I mean, obviously that hasn't been going for, for that long in the whole great scheme of things. But what really, in your opinion, has kind of driven that, that change? Because it is becoming so popular over here now. I mean, I think I think a lot of it is streaming platform and social profile. And I think it's, you know, international touring was very well established back in the 90s, uh, the 80s. Um, and the 90s, it kind of just fell off because, you know, money and was doing so well here in the States 
that you would take a massive pay cut when you could go up the street and make triple, quadruple that amount. So it just kind of fell off. And so I think a, a lot of those early bands kind of, again, in the 2000s had never experienced um, going overseas or they didn't necessarily have to. And I think people are just, they're looking for a larger audience. And, you know, it's like, again, we knew there was a fan base over there. It was, you just had to find them because um, it didn't exist. And I think, you know, again, it, I mean, the first marketing that we did for National Meets London, we found those online groups that, you know, the, the C2C attendees. And I mean, there's like eight to 10 other ones like that was the marketing mechanism mm-hmm. of how they found music or how they listened to music or how they shared ideas or, you know, there was kind of that sense of community. And, you know, once that group of people creates that, that community, which is really what country music is about, it's about that community and that mm-hmm. vibe, then, you know, we were able to really kind of tap into that when we kind of launched and have, you know, continue to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm uh, obviously I'm completely converted, as you know. So are you are you a Nashville native? Yes. Um uh, I was born in Colorado and okay. moved around a little bit. My dad was in the military, um, but I've mainly grown up in Nashville for the most part. Okay. And and when you were growing up, obviously you've already said that you weren't into country music. Is it, because from, from our point of view, when you think Nashville, you think country music. And now I know it's not just country music, but it kind of, it doesn't seem possible that you could live in Nashville or be around Nashville and not be into country music. I mean, how, from, from the Nashville natives, like how popular is, is country music or is it just like any other city? You know, I, I, that's hard. That's really hard to describe. Um, I think, I think early on it was all about country music in Nashville, but I think we've continued to develop as a city with Mm. bringing in a lot of these major brands, um, Bridgestone, I mean, our skyline is changing and just driving down music road today. I mean, like, you know, they made a joke that, you know, the new Nashville bird is the crane because at one point we had more cranes in Nashville than they did in Dubai. Um, so I think as it's continued to change and evolve and bring in just different people like Nissan and, you know, Virgin Hotels, it, it's really kind of opened people's palate. So I think it's, it, it's more there's just a lot more happening. I mean, there's an active rock scene, there's an active pop scene, you know, in in, in country as well. And so I think it's kind of that continued involvement of of, of people where there's just a a melting pot, which is, you know, really exciting to see when you're able to kind of cross genres or really develop different types of fans. Yeah. And do you, do you go out like, I'm assuming that you're probably not particularly a regular down, down on Broadway or anything nowadays, but, do you still get to go out and in you know sit and enjoy live music um you know in your in your local pub or, or bar or whatever it is or sure. do you find that you because you work in it it's not kind of way you know you don't want to have a busman's holiday so to speak you know we're surrounded by it so much generally kind of throughout the day whether there's an event happening down the street that I that when we kind of have that off time, um, we don't generally. I mean, downtown is kind of like a no go. Yeah. Um, you know, we go down there for CMA Music Fest, and we kind of have an event. But if not, it's like you know, we we definitely you know are downtown quite a bit at Bridgetown, whether it be for a certain client show 
or kind of a, a certain kind of industry event. So it's kind of always around, um, you know, but in the off time, off time, it's, it, it, it's, it's, we don't necessarily like, hey, let's, let's go downtown. We'll what leave that you- for the woohoo girls. <laughs> what type of music would you listen to um you know if you've come home after a long day at work and you just want to want to chill out have a glass of wine put some music on what type of music would you listen to 90s rock love it like acdc nirvana <laughs> Rage Against the machine thing like that that's kind of my jam and i think not stylistically but i think diversity wise i think country is kind of at that point right now Mm-hmm. Um, where again, you have Sam Hunt and you have Marin Morris and you have Chris Stapleton and Casey Musgraves. And it just opens up the genre so much. Like it was kind of, you know, in the early, you know, 90s for rock, you had alternative, you had punk, you had hard rock, you had heavy metal, you had hairband 80s. And so you had so much going on mm-hmm. that's really reminiscent of that type of music where there's just such a breadth, which I think, again, kind of going back to your earlier point of why people are kind of gravitating towards country because there's mm-hmm. just a lot of artists um who really and i think you know taylor swift was one of the first ones to break the mold i mean she changed the entire demographic of the yeah. country hand down of just really disrupted it which i think it's kind of awesome um to to really push it to different leaps and bounds which is fantastic and you know it got to to the to the younger generation mm. which then kind of continued to find who she was touring with or who was she listening to. And I think that just changed, you know, music kind of forever, especially, yeah. you know, Nashville. Yeah, no, I think it's brilliant. And, and like you say, I think it is the breadth and the variety of genres within the genre almost that is so attractive to everybody because there is, there is a type of country music that will suit pretty much everyone, whether you like it rocky or more bluegrass oh, or traditional country in inverted commas you know there's something for everybody yeah it's it, it's really interesting i think you know natural is kind of representative of that like you can hear texas country you can hear renter you can hear again just so many different you know varieties of it which is which is exciting and i think yeah. that's when the best music is is you know happening we get so many different influences that it just brings you in this differently like katie perry she even talked about when I mean, she wrote a lot of her songs here in nashville um you know and i think again then she takes that 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 mentality out to la and basically puts an la spin on in theory kind of a country-esque song where it's about the melody where it's about the lyrics um which is just i think just incredible yeah absolutely and what is what do you think the most surprising thing is or unexpected thing about Nashville? Hmm. Um, I will go with that musical row is not a series of buildings. <laughs> um, well, in theory, it's, it's usually uh, a series of houses. I mean, I'm in, you know, it, it's old for Nashville is like the twenties. Um, you know, for, for you guys, it would be considered new construction, um, you know, but I think that would kind of be the main thing that it, that it's, that it's still a big little town. Um, but, but, and, and there's just a lot, there's a lot of things to do here, whether yeah. you just stick downtown or you're out in Brentwood or Franklin, um, and just everything else that it's just, it's just, it is the connection of the community. What would be your top tips of places and thing places for people to visit and things for them to do if they've never been to Nashville before? You know, I'm a big sucker for tourist traps. Um, I think those 
they're Twitter shots for a reason, but I think it's equally a really good way to see a lot of the city, um, you know, but I think, you know, every once in a while kind of get off the bean path yeah. or, to, you know, go out to Franklin or go to Lynchburg to see yeah. where Jack Daniels is made or go to the station in, in the Gulch, which is probably one of my favorite venues. There are a series of high rises with, you know, uber expensive hotel rooms. There's this, you know, little place that, you know, doesn't even have beer on tap, but, you know, it's all kind of, you know, in a can or in a bottle. And, you know, just kind of go back to some of the old, old Nashville mm. for the most part, where it's kind of where it all started. Um, you know, so, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, again, kind of you know, do the tourist stuff to kind of check a box and then kind of, you know, dive a little deeper. Make sure you go to the Country Music Hall of Fame because that is yeah. a trove of information. Yeah. And it's, you know, really cool what kind of see where the roots are, um, you know, and even kind of, you know, come down Music Row to see where, you know, the music is made or even Berry Hill to where, you know, it's it produced. And I mean, just, just the history of, of, you know, music in Nashville is just, you know, incredible. Yeah. And um, and what about restaurants, food? Where's where's the best, best place to go? Because I think, you know, there's obviously there's a lot of chains and stuff and there's a lot of places on Broadway if you are going to do the touristy stuff, um, but they wouldn't necessarily be be the best places. Where would you advise people to go um, for a bite to eat? I'm, I mean, especially if you come to Nashville, like you have to get hot chicken. You yeah. just have to. Um, you know, it's like there's Hattie B's there's Prince's, there's Bolton. Um, that's kind of one of my go-tos, um, you know, just from, a, just from a, a fan perspective. But I think, again, you know, it, it's, it's staying off Broadway. Um, mm. You know, Nashville has gotten a lot of variety of restaurants. Um, some I haven't even necessarily been to, but like there's Josephine's and there's Star Four. And so there's a whole bunch of, of I think Nashville is really stepping up its game in terms of culinary, um, it was a major um, priority for the city and they really invested into that marketplace. And so there's just, there's a ton. I mean, I, I open up open table, which is in that pier, but you know, basically where can you get a seat at the table? And I mean, every once in a while, it's like never heard of it. That's where I want to go. Um, yeah. You know? And, and so again, you can get a lot in that downtown area, but there's a lot out in Brooklyn and Franklin as well that are yeah. just very different and unique um, from there. I mean, Monell is another really great one. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's a German town. It's so good. Yeah. And if you were going to go further afield for a weekend out of town or something, but still in Tennessee, where would you, where would you go? Um, I would go to the Smoky Mountains. Yeah. They're in East Tennessee. Yeah. It's um, the most visited natural, uh, our state park in the United States. Um, it's like two and a half, three hour drive. And it's just absolutely stunning. Um, you can kind of just get out there and, you know, get lost in the woods and in the mountains. Um, and just kind of, you know, it, it's just incredible. I was actually just out there last weekend and it's just, it's just fantastic just to kind of, you know, feel kind of so small and kind of reset your thoughts mm-hmm. and get out there and, you know, nature and just kind of walk around or just, you know, have a picnic. And that's, that's where I go to all the time when yeah, I can. I'm very envious. Um, and that definitely going to head out there. Uh, next time I'm over in in Nashville or that neck of the woods anyway so do you have um just to sort of round off the the interview do you have a top UK artist to watch um over the next 12 months or so possibly somebody you know who's been on one of your live streams that you wouldn't necessarily have have heard of or what have you beforehand sure there's probably three um that I wasn't super familiar with there's Chantel Padden Laura Ashton and Lisa McHugh, I, I, I have known her for quite a bit. 
Um, those were the streams that off the top of my head of, again, two of those that I didn't necessarily have a lot of intimate knowledge um, performed extremely well. Um, so much that it, it, it did surprise me at, at the streaming numbers and made me rewatch and made me really kind of dive deeper in, in, into those um, acts. Um, you know, again, I, I've known, you know, Lisa for a little bit, but the other two were, were pretty unknown. And it was just, it was really incredible to kind of see those numbers um, from those artists that, again, weren't necessarily on my radar, which is what, why, you know, we kind of put together some of those streams or really kind of, you know, engage the UK audience to see what does stick, what are people, you know, in a post and pre kind of COVID world going to want to listen to or, or anything else. And exciting. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And what about um, a top US artist to watch, watch? Again, probably somebody a little bit unexposed who we wouldn't necessarily have hmm. heard about. You know, I mean, there are so many to name that have done extremely well. Um, I'm trying to kind of think of a top and it's really hard for me because there's like nine or 10 that are kind of coming to the top of my mind. Um, but I have to probably get back to you on that because again, I'm, I'm not entirely sure of which that I think is really going to stand out because there's been some fantastic talent. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm always a big fan of Ashley Campbell, who, who isn't necessarily new to the scene, but she just kind of continually puts out really good music. Yeah. Um, and, and is just, a, you know, a, a really just genuine, nice person, yeah. uh, you know, as well as the sisterhood band, um, you know, which you are, you know, NML alums. And, yeah. you know, and so, so it's really hard for me to determine that because music is at such a great state here in Nashville. Yeah. And I think, you know, coming out of this, hopefully we're going to have some of the best music that we've ever had um, from those artists kind of being stuck at home. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's, it's really exciting um, to sort of hear all of these new artists that we would not have had a chance to to discover really and I think that's been one of the really positive things that's come out of this is that it's just become so much more accessible because you can just click onto the internet when you're at home and all of a sudden you can watch somebody doing a, a live stream who you've never heard of before um and I think that that's amazing absolutely and that's you know when we launched this we didn't I mean we didn't know how long this was going to last how long it wasn't going to last and it is kind of you know that first barrier to entry where it's like I don't know how this is going to go I like what I hear recorded but I don't know will that translate to live mm. and is there a demand for it or isn't there a demand for it? Or do I think there will be a bigger demand in an actual true live environment? So we've been able to kind of really test and, and, and really see who people were really excited to see, you know, both online and offline. And I think, you know, there's probably a couple that we will totally kind of invite back or invite once we do get to a live environment mm. to kind of perform at the festival itself. Because yeah. again, some of those numbers are just, you know, insane um you know just from a, a viewing perspective and you know that just means you know some of that market research is, is complete for us yeah absolutely and um finally what would it what would be your top country road trip song so if you were driving down to the smoky mountains the sun's shining the windows down and you had to put on a country song what would it be hmm that's really tough um i don't know if i'd have like one particular song per se and it's not exactly country 
But whenever I kind of go road tripping, it's generally a Tom Petty type of drive. It's just a very kind of chill, but it just brings you kind of home. I don't want to go cheesy, no country roads, but like that does come to mind. Um, But I think kind of more that, that Tom Petty, just, you know, you're kind of starting that relaxing, you know, drive, you know, you know, to kind of lose yourself a little bit. I don't need anything to kind of amp me up like a cruise or anything like that. I mean, if I was going to the beach, that might be more appropriate, but you know, I I like to kind of relax or, you know, some really old, you know, Johnny Cash or or some Mm -hmm. stuff like that to kind of just ease into it and kind of get the mind prep um, for what's about to come. Great choice. And so finally, what, what have we what have you got in store for us from Nashville, Nashville meets London and Aristo kind of for the next for the next 12 months what can we look forward to you know I mean from the Aristo front like we're constantly launching or relaunching or developing acts and so I mean there's 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 a lot that we're kind of working on right now that is kind of coming out um not only now but kind of in the near future in Nashville meets London I mean you know we're, we're still really determining what that next 12 months looks like um yeah. You know, we're having, you know, tons of discussions and, and you know, we're just make, waiting to kind of put um, ink to paper of, of really developing that out. I mean, we're going to kind of continue with the live streams yeah. until, you know, June maybe. Um, but we're not, put, you know, we're, we're kind of an open book right now in terms of, you know, what that looks like over the next 12 months. Because I think we're all still trying to figure that out and, and um, you know, you know, whether there is a return or maybe it's we're going to wait till 2022 um you know it, again where it's kind of you know leaving it open and, and seeing yeah. where uh, everything kind of lies very sensible well matt it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so so much for your time um really really appreciate it thank you no worries thanks for having me on thank you As always, we've done some post-production edits to include Matt's recommendations of where to go, what to do and where to eat in and around Nashville and Tennessee. So he suggests that if you go to Nashville, you really have to try hot chicken. There's Hattie B's, Bolton's or Prince's all do really good hot chicken. So you've got to try some of that. Um, He said the Station Inn in the Gulch is one of his absolute favourite venues. Um, Monel's restaurant in Germantown is very good. And if you've got the um, ability or if you've hired a car or whatever and you do you are able to spread your wings slightly further afield he recommends heading down towards the smoky mountains national park which is absolutely beautiful so this is the last of the weekly versions of the tales of tennessee podcast we will be going to a fortnightly episode from now on obviously the summer's getting a little busier but thank you all so much for your support and please do keep following us You have been listening to the Tales of Tennessee podcast with me, Georgie T. You can keep up to date with the podcast by following us at talesoftennessee.podbean.com or by following all of our social media channels for the Tennessee Fields Festival. The handle is at TNFieldsFest on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You can also follow me, Georgie T, on Instagram at the underscore accidental underscore everything. We'd love to hear from you. So don't forget, you can email us at talesoftennessee at yahoo.com. And as always, thanks go to Francis and Archie Ween for providing the jingles for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee.